Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. How far are you willing to go to be healed? What if all we were asked to do was to come to the water? Join us for the message, Going Down to the River. Good morning and welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville. So how far are you willing to go to be healed? And what if all you were asked to do was to come to the water? Well, stay tuned for our, our message later today, going down to the river. And now for our scripture reading with this week comes from 2 Kings and Luke. 2 Kings 5, 1 through 19a. Listen now to the word of God. Naaman commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man and in high favor with his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man, though a mighty warrior, suffered from leprosy. Now the Arameans on one of their raids had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord just what the girl from the land of Israel had said. And the king of Aram said, Go then, and I will send along a letter to the king of Israel. He went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of garments. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you my servant, Naaman, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to give you death or life that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Just look and see how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a messenger to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me, that he may learn that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and halted at the entrance of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a message, messenger to him, saying, Go, wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became angry and went away, saying, I thought that for me he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, and would wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. Are not Abana and Far far the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? He turned and went away in a rage, but his servants approached and said to him, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said to you was, Wash and be clean? So he went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. 
Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company. He came and stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Please accept a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives whom I serve, I will accept nothing. He urged him to accept, but he refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please let two mule loads of earth be given to your servant, for your servant will no longer offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god except the Lord. But may the Lord pardon your service on one count. When my master goes into the house of Rimon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and bow down in the house of Rimon, when I do bow down in the house of Rimon, may the Lord pardon your servant on this one count. He said to him, Go in peace. But when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, and now in Luke chapter 4, 16 through 30. When he came to Nazareth, where he had, when Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is not this Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, do hear also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there are many windows and widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard all this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. This is the word of the God for people of God. Thanks be to God. Naaman, the... Aramean general had come to Israel for healing. 
Now, Aram is the ancient name of what we would now call Syria. And a Syrian general would have been about as welcome in Israel then as he would be now. And a communication from the Syrian government to the Israeli government would, would, would have met with just about the same amount of skepticism and distrust as it does now. Now, I've had the privilege of traveling to the Holy Land several times, and on one of these occasions, we actually had the opportunity to go to the Golan Heights. And this is the part of modern Syria that has been under Israeli occupation and control since the 1967 Six-Day War. And to this day, you have to be careful where you walk because there are still existing active minefields in the Golan Heights. And scattered about the landscape, you can still see the decaying hulks of battle tanks. So it seems like this relationship between the lands of Israel and Syria, well, they've been troubled now for millennia, it seems. Well, in ancient times, Israel and Aram were frequently at war. And even during so-called times of peace, raiding parties from both sides would descend upon unsuspecting villagers and they'd plunder and loot. And so it was on one of these raiding parties that Naaman, the Aramean general, had captured this young Israelite girl. We don't even know her name, but he brought her home as a gift to his wife, that is a serving girl to attend to her needs, help with the household chores. Now, as much as we would find this practice morally repugnant, kidnapping children away from their families in order to enslave them, this would have been nonetheless a common practice in ancient times. And it was this enslaved Israelite girl, who, however, who suggested to Naaman's wife that the general should seek healing for his leprosy from the great prophet in Samaria. Now, Naaman was not only a general, he was the commander of the entire Aramean army. And his king held him in very high esteem because of his great record of military victories. And we're even told in the text that it was the Lord who had granted Naaman these victories. But we're also told that Naaman has leprosy. Now, I think it's very ironic that Naaman enjoys the blessing of God while at the same time having a disease that would have in ancient times excluded him from the worshiping community of that very same God. Because according to Israelite law, anyone with leprosy was not admitted into the tabernacle or temple or worship assembly until they were healed and then they were cleared by a priest to re-enter the worship assembly. Now we can't be sure what the biblical text specifically means by leprosy. Most scholars think it's not a referral to Hansen's disease, what we would call leprosy today. But it referred to a range of skin conditions, any skin condition that would have rendered a person to be ritually unclean. So perhaps Naaman has something like psoriasis. But regardless, it's serious enough of a condition that it is a concern of Naaman and his household. Now, taking the young Israelites girl's suggestion seriously, Naaman approaches his king to report what he has heard. And the Aramean king advises Naaman, go to Israel, be healed, and even offers to send a letter to the Israelite king. So Naaman takes with him this letter and a small fortune. Ten talents of silver is about 750 pounds of silver. And 6,000 shekels of gold is about 150 pounds of gold. 
And there were also 10 sets of garments, which would included very expensive and luxurious robes and other finery. Unfortunately, Naaman makes the very same mistake that the wise man would make centuries later when they were searching for the newborn king. He first went to the court of the Israelites to find, uh, in order to find the prophet who is in Samaria and therefore ends up really upsetting the king. The king of Israel re reads the letter and begins to panic and tear his clothing. And so therefore proving that miscommunications between countries is nothing new, the Israelite king believes that the Aramean king is requesting that he himself cure Naaman of his leprosy, and this request is nothing more than a pretext for war. And so the king exclaims, am I God to give life or death? The answer to that, by the way, is decidedly no. Providentially, Elisha, the prophet in Samaria, hears of the king's dilemma and tells him to send Naaman to him. So Naaman shows up with his entire entourage, men, horses, chariots, all of them bearing this fortune in silver, gold, and fine garments. Elisha is not impressed. He doesn't even bother to meet Naaman face to face, but instead sends his servant to tell Naaman to go, go wash in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be healed. I guess when you've seen your mentor Elijah taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire, then an Aramean chariot does not excite you. <laughs> Naaman takes this as an insult, which kind of frankly it is. The Hebrew makes it clear that Naaman's ego is offended. I thought that for me, he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. Naaman was expecting a show. And he went on to say, aren't the rivers back in Damascus far better than the Jordan River? And truthfully, if you've been to the Holy Land and you've seen the Jordan River, it's really not much more than a creek. It's not really that impressive. So Naaman goes huffing and puffing and stomping off in a rage. But then this arrogant, offended general does something very wise. He decides to listen to the voice of his servants. And his servants reason with him and say that, you know, if the prophet had asked him to do something difficult, then he would have done it. What the prophet has asked is simple. Why not at least try it? What do you have to lose? In my mind, I see Naaman throwing up his arms in a huff and saying, okay, I'll try it, but I don't think this is going to do any good. Well, he goes down to the river, immerses himself seven times, and what do you know? He is completely healed of his leprosy. The text says that his flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy. Boy, wouldn't we all like that? <laughs> Naaman's arrogance almost ruined him, but he had the strength of character, and that saved him. He was willing to listen to the voice of the marginalized. He listened to the voice of a young slave girl. I can tell you in the ancient world, there was no one lower on the social hierarchy than a young slave girl. He listened to the voice of his own servants. And notice that they called him father. And this was not just out of respect. This was also a, a sign of affection as well, that they would call him father. So because he was willing to swallow his pride and humble himself and go down to the river, both literally and figuratively, he found healing. And because he was willing to listen and learn, his arrogance was redeemable. His flesh becomes like that of a young boy. 
Maybe not unlike the flesh of the young Israelite girl who told her mistress about the prophet in Samaria. As Jesus says, for to such children as these belong the kingdom of God. After Naaman is healed, he goes back to Elisha and makes an astonishing affirmation of faith. Now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Your servant will no longer offer burnt or uh, will no longer offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god except the Lord. Now remember that Naaman has 750 pounds of silver and 150 pounds of gold with him, and he tries to pay Elisha for his service. But Elisha refuses to accept any payment, saying, "As the Lord lives, I will accept nothing." God's healing and salvation were not a commodity to be bought and sold. It still isn't. It's a free gift offered to anyone willing to accept it. And so Naaman found enough humility to accept the gift of healing. And Naaman didn't, he didn't have to make that affirmation of faith first. He was healed before he pledged himself to the Lord. God takes the initiative in Naaman's healing. And God meets us where we are. And God meets us in our need. God even meets an unclean enemy of Israel. Jesus himself later uses the story of Naaman to illustrate the inclusiveness then of God's salvation when he reads from the scroll in the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. Even though Naaman has made his affirmation of faith, he still doesn't really understand the God to whom he has just pledged allegiance. He makes two naive requests. First, he asks for two cartloads of Israelite dirt so that he can worship the Lord back in Aram. Now, in ancient times, it was believed that all gods were, in effect, local gods. So if Naaman wanted to worship the God of Israel... He was going to have to take a little bit of Israel back with him. That the Lord was the one and only supreme God of the universe, the God of all people, would have been at that time an impossible concept for Naaman to wrap his head, about, his, his head around. The other naive request that Naaman made was to ask for pardon in advance for accompanying his king when that king went to the temple of his god, Rimon. Rimon was the god of thunder, and was also the head of the Aramean pantheon. And Elisha's response to Naaman is actually very pastoral. Just go in peace. Elisha doesn't necessarily approve of Naaman going to the temple of uh, Rimon, but he seems to realize that theological understanding comes with time, and sophisticated understanding may never come at all. As one commentator says, even when Naaman finally confesses the Lord, his theology was simplistic, his notion of God's presence inadequate, and his allegiance to God not without distractions. Well, thank God we are not required to be theologically correct before God's grace and healing can become a reality in our lives. Well, if it were so, then all of us would still be on that road to perdition. If we had to wait until we fully understood grace, then we would never get to experience grace. God met Naaman where he was, and God meets us where we are. And that's one of the reasons the United Methodist Church practices infant baptism, 
Because we believe that before we're able to respond to God, God has already loved us and claimed us as a part of the family. And this will always be true regardless of whether that individual ever chooses to affirm the faith or not. Or even if it ends up that individual is someone who may not even be capable of affirming the faith. Now one has to be careful when reading the Hebrew Scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, to let them speak for themselves in their own context and not to automatically see everything as a reference to Christianity or the New Testament. That being said, however, it's hard not to see the sacrament of baptism and the cleansing of Naaman. The experience certainly serves as a means of grace for him, though it was not because the waters of the Jordan were somehow magical. It was because we are physical, material beings, and we have no choice but to experience the divine through the medium of matter, whether that matter consists of the waters of baptism or the elements of communion or the touch of a neighbor or the incarnation of a savior. Today we're reminded of the grace to be found in the waters of our baptism, and next week on World Communion Sunday, we'll be reminded of the grace that's to be found in the elements of communion. In fact, later on in today's service, we're going to have an opportunity to reaffirm our baptism. Just this next Sunday, we'll have the opportunity to receive Holy Communion. So God reaches out to us not just in our material physicality, but also in our brokenness, in our leprosy. In fact, it is through our brokenness that God most richly communicates to us. Consider something that I said earlier. The leprosy that would have kept Naaman out of the worshiping community was the very thing that led him to his confession of faith in the Lord. If he had never contracted leprosy, he would have never sought the prophet in Samaria, he would have never washed seven times in the Jordan, and he never would have proclaimed his faith that he will no longer offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god except the Lord. And I think most of us can point back to a blessing in our lives that never would have happened if there wasn't some challenge or conflict or burden that had not happened first. My story, which most of you have heard before, is that I would have, if I had never been wrongly denied that job at first UMC in Denton, I never would have left there to go on staff at Northgate I would have never have met Greg Neal. Uh, he, he would have never had a chance to push me into pastoral ministry, and I would have never been ordained. I was so broken after not getting that job at first, Denton. But God met me in that brokenness. And the vulnerability that resulted from the brokenness enabled me to hear a word from God that I had not been able to hear before. It helped me to let go of the only life I could see and instead trust God to show me a new life that at that point was simply beyond my sight. But it was not beyond God's sight. I'm amazed by this grace. I'm amazed at the grace that God showed me and I'm amazed by the grace that God showed Naaman, an enemy of Israel. Whoever says that the Old Testament God is a God of judgment 
while the New Testament God is a God of grace, has never read either testament very carefully. Even now, each and every one of us here, myself included, has some kind of leprosy in our lives that if we accepted God's gift of healing, would bring us blessings that we never thought possible. Each of us has a leprosy in our lives from which God is aching to heal us if we would yet just allow it. So I'm asking you, what is that leprosy in you that God is aching to heal if you would simply let God heal? Do you feel guilt or shame over something you've done or left undone, over something you've said or left unsaid? Is there someone who you need to forgive? Is that someone yourself? Is there an event from the past that you need to let go of? Are you fearful to take that next step into the life which God is calling you to? Whatever it is, whatever it is, whatever it is your leprosy, go down into the Jordan. And don't let pride or arrogance prevent you from receiving God's healing touch. Naaman's pride almost did him in. But no, let yourself be healed and let that cleansing, healing waters of baptism wash over you. You know, I like to imagine that as Naaman rose out of the water for that seventh time, that he heard a whisper in his ear, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So I'm asking you, go down into the river and let God whisper in your ear. Amen. And so now receive this benediction. The God of all grace who has called us to eternal glory in Christ establish and strengthen you in the power of the Holy Spirit that you may live in grace and peace in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope today's service was a blessing to you. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Join us again next Sunday when we commemorate World Communion Sunday when Christians around the world celebrate the sacrament of Holy Communion. You can always access our services through our website, tumcd.org, our Facebook page, our YouTube channel, and our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. If you like what you're hearing, you can also support our ministry with your gift through our website, tumcd.org. God bless you in the week ahead, and we'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church. Mm -hmm.